Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I am your host, Chris Lee. In today's episode, I will talk baseball with Chip Frederick. There is no mailbag today, but our question and answer session will be sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Give him a call today, 615-933-1979 is the number. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or at facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try Tell me you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spy-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care. Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. Today's news presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at SB Injury Law and please tell them you heard about them on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Vanderbilt has a basketball game Thursday night. That was Cincinnati. That's scheduled this week. The Commodores will be playing in Cincinnati, and that game will start at 6 Central. The game can only be shown on ESPN+, Plus, so that's not included with the SEC Network or its app, so you have to make a special purchase to get that. In any case, Vandy and Cincinnati will face off for the first time in several years on Thursday evening. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Chip Frederick joins me now as we talk Vanderbilt baseball. Chip, of course, has followed the program for years, played there. Chip, we are two weeks into the season. I think it's been a good start for Vanderbilt. Thanks for joining us today, and uh seems like we got a lot of stuff to talk about today as Vanderbilt enters the UIC series. Good to be with you, Chris. Yeah, it's it was a, um, you know, a weekend this past weekend, which we when we had our last podcast, I didn't know if we were really going to be, be, be able to get any games in. Um, and uh, amazingly, after you listening to all the forecast, 
we got them all in. So it was it, we it wasn't exactly pretty, and it wasn't the weather wasn't uh, cooperative the whole time. And and but uh, come away with that series against a, a better than I thought Georgia State team. I, I and if you saw what they did this week uh, against Georgia Tech at, in Atlanta. Uh, at Georgia Tech's field, of course, beating them ten to one yesterday. You corrected me last week because I said of the, you know Georgia State of the three series coming up that they would probably be of the three uh, a team that would Vanderbilt could handle. But uh, they they have a unique roster. After that first game that you know Georgia State wins the opener, I kind of looked and it's a dangerous kind of team, Chris. Because and some teams across the country do this, especially with the COVID situation, we had people coming back who should have graduated or didn't get drafted. They've got a mixture of a, a lot of Georgia kids and some JUCOs from pretty much uh, in Florida and across the South. And they're just kind of a very blue collar team that wouldn't go away and they were not fearful at all of uh, Vanderbilt. So hats off to them. And it looks like they're, they're, they'll play anybody anywhere and that's admirable uh, to play the team that they're playing. So I think it was good. You know, I think it's always good to be challenged. And I think the, the um, you know, Corbin's club got challenged this week in different areas and showed some things and exposed some things, and but responded in the end and won three of the four games. So six and one, about where we thought they'd be. And uh, you got another challenge this week with UIC coming up. I watched Georgia State and I thought that's a good ball team because they, they don't kick the ball around. Uh, I just thought fundamentally they were solid. They they really tried to push Vanderbilt on a base pass. I mean, they reminded me a lot of some of Corbin's early teams that weren't as talented as the teams they played. But at the same time, they, they had this no-fear thing. They would take extra bases and, and try to steal and do a lot of chirping and things. It just reminded me of the edge that a lot of Tim's teams, well, and frankly, still do play with, but it reminded me a lot about where this program was, say, 13, 14 years ago and the way they played. Yeah, and they, they do. You, you're exactly right. It was a little chirpy uh, from their dugout. Of course, there's not many people except parents there, so you can hear it on the broadcast on television or if you're listening on radio. And there was, you know, it almost sounded like on that Friday night game, like it was. The game wasn't even in Nashville. You you heard more of them talking, and they moved the ball. They bunt the ball. They're aggressive. Uh, you know, they took the extra base, like you said. So, you know, they're a team that I think when the, when the end of the season comes along, their record might not be great from this early part on, but I bet they'll do really well in their conference. And their strength of schedule will be a benefit to teams that are playing them. They played West Virginia in the first, first series, Vanderbilt. They're playing Georgia Tech. And I haven't looked pretty much past the next couple games for them. But, yeah, yeah, that, it's good to play teams like that. They're scrappy and um, will be a good barometer to some of the teams possibly we'll be playing later on. Well, let's switch to Vandy. What do we make of them seven games in? Because I think, frankly – Compared to what I expected, and the expectations were high, right? I, I think that they have met or exceeded most expectations so far. Yeah, I think you're seeing uh, guys at the at the on the stat page that you know Dominic Ke you know, Keegan is he's definitely standing out. Jason Gonzalez as well as two. You're seeing the speed of Bradfield, the fresh face out in center field. 
pitching is about what you thought it would be dominant from the first two and trying to still piece together uh, the staff. And I think it's interesting that Scott Brown is the way he's done it. He's been very methodical as far as who he's pitched and, you know, inning here, two innings here, you look down at the, at the sheet. I think we got 15, 16 pitchers maybe who've seen, which is more than normal at this time of year. And it's spread out anywhere from, you know, one inning, one and two innings a piece to a maximum of uh, five innings, six innings, I guess, from uh, their top pitcher other than lighter and rocker. So they're just trying to find that identity of the, the third starter, and they're giving some people some opportunity, and that's all you really can ask for at this point. But, you know, as far as what I'm seeing, um, I, I thought we would be running a little more. I told you that last week with only five stolen bases. We're a perfect five for five. Uh, we talked about address that a little uh, last week, and it really didn't change a whole lot this weekend. Um, getting some near misses and some people picked off bases, which has always been for, for you know, Tim uh, has always been a person who's pushed the envelope in the base paths. I will say this, the art of holding runners on has gotten really, really uh, refined as these kids uh, specialize, and some of these programs are good at it and some are not. You know, I was talking to a former player the other night, and he's just incensed about the number of times that we've gotten guys picked off through the years or thrown out, taking an extra base that's too aggressive. And that's just the way Tim Corbin plays. I will say, if if, if the stats show, again, we're five for five, that's not a whole lot of stolen bases through seven games. But if you're not going to go anywhere, don't get picked off. You know, it's, it's that that's... Um, and there's a couple times I think that plays were not reviewed that we actually got some guys picked off in these seven games we played. So it's it's uh, we got some close calls over there in first. We got a runner picked off second, which can really just is at this day and age, unless you're just being really aggressive, is is something that can't happen. Uh, but I semi-subscribe to that. If you if you're not going anywhere, don't get picked off. You need to get a lead, but. Uh, you don't want to run yourself out of out of an inning on the base path. So those things are pretty much what I've observed. Dominant pitching at the top. You got some young faces here coming through, uh, really tattooing the ball. The Friday night game was not um, really, as far as recognizing compared to the other three, Friday night's game was just a, a game that Georgia State just sort of took it to Vanderbilt in the, in the hits that we got didn't hit the ball really hard in any of those, uh, I think seven or eight hits that we got Friday night, the ball really wasn't squared up as much as it was the other three games. So good bounce back from Friday night. It was good to see. You know, one thing that jumps off the stat page that I don't think has been discussed much and certainly not here on the podcast, opponents just three and nine trying to stealing its Vanderbilt. And I think CJ Rodriguez and Max Romero have done a terrific job in controlling the running game. And a lot of those throws were just got, you know, the pop times were great. The throws to second were right on the money. They got there in a hurry. I think that's one thing that they've got to be pleased about too, is how they've done from the catching standpoint. Well, that, that is a uh, obvious strength of this team. And when you got two young guys and Rodriguez and Romero behind the dish, doing what they're doing and it's uh, calling the game that they're doing, handling the pitchers like they're doing, especially the top two. 
And that's going to be an, a very interesting battle as you go. You look at the numbers. I mean, Rodriguez is hitting, what, in the six hole, I think, still. Uh, he's slid down a little bit from where he was early in the season. He's improved his average uh, from where we talked a, a month ago, uh, excuse me, a week ago. He's now hitting 267. But Romero really made his mark. I mean, he's been on base 10 times. He's, he's batting 429. Of course, he's caught. Um, he's played in three games. Uh, this year and started three. So they're just, that's still going to be a, a battle that we need to watch. Uh, but the two, you know, we talked about last week, Rodriguez, as far as getting on base, uh, fouling pitches off, making, making uh, pitchers work. Uh, at the same time, he, he, he has not, he struck out four times, which for him is a whole lot compared to what he did last year. And what is his trademark as far as not striking out a lot. So those two will be battling as we go along here the next couple weekends, and we need to watch that real closely. But I, it's nice to have two, I tell you that much, who can do the job that they're doing. Well, and by the way, they really love Alan Espinal also. He's not going to see a lot of time this year, but they are a big believer in him and his defense and, in particular, his leadership abilities. So he's a guy that we're probably not going to see a lot this year. But I think you might see a lot uh, maybe by, by the time he's a junior and, and who knows, maybe a little bit more next year, depending on what happens with C.J. Rodriguez, who is draft eligible, I believe. Yeah, I didn't know that about Rodriguez. So another one of these kids who are, who are coming into the program and, uh, you know, sort of a, an older kid as a, fr- a freshman. So, uh, yeah, it's just um, that it's a good problem to have to have those three names. Uh, and of course, you know, because the catching is something that you can get hit, hurt very quickly and be out for a long time in that position on a foul ball or a collision at the plate, what have you. So uh, it's it's um, watching those three guys. It's a great problem to have. What do you think of Dominic Keegan? He's had an incredible start, but I just think in terms of watching him, not just looking at the line he is putting up, but just watching him hit, I think he is a premium hitter for this team. Man, he hits the ball on the screws. I mean, he just, he absolutely, uh, I love to see kids with just the bat speed and the strength uh, when they come in here and, and uh, you know, not not being fearful at all. And, and he hit some balls over the weekend that were just exploded off his bat. So, you know, he's been the, the spot, you know, Gonzalez, we talked about him as far as the way he's squaring up the ball, but Keegan's just fun to watch. He's 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 energetic. He he's excited about being out there. He's a strong kid. Great bat speed. Great presence at the plate. Doesn't swing at a lot of bad pitches. Uh, you know, I mean, 13 RBIs. He by and far leads the team, and he leads the team in home runs. So he leads the team in homers, RBIs, total bases, slugging percentage. He's got five doubles, which is impressive, and a triple. So. You can't beat that start, uh, the, you know, from anybody around and, and probably from any team in the conference. I know he was nominated to be player of the week last week. I don't know how he didn't win that uh, award. You'll have to correct me if he didn't win it or not. I know he was nominated, but uh, he had a great game midweek against Dominic, I mean, against the Western Kentucky. So he just kind of picked up where he left off from the previous week, carried it in through Wednesday. And that's the, you know, these kids who come in and the, the younger kids on the team, they're mostly all young, is stringing good performances together back to back to back and carrying over from the midweek game. And that's what you've seen from a lot of these guys 
especially Keegan, uh, over the last you know ten to twelve days. Keegan did share SEC player of the SEC player of the week with Wes Clark, so okay. uh, he did get the leagues. Now nationally, I I don't know. I don't think that happened. But let me ask you something: Cooper Davis may be back this weekend. And that's going to cause sort of a good problem, right? I mean, Jack Bolger is not hit that well so far, but I think they believe in him. I think Bolger's at-bats have been quality. Just sometimes there's a difference between the way you hit and outcomes, and his outcomes haven't been good, but I think there's been some, some poor luck in there, for lack of a better word. So I would presume Bolger's the guy that hits the bench. Uh, Parker Nolan's been their DH. Uh, I think that's how it's going to resolve, but... What do you make of what happens once they get Cooper Davis back in the lineup? I think you got to slide. Hey, Cooper Davis, I think, has got a spot in the lineup. Uh, he'll he'll slide back in there, and and I think they like his leadership. They like his experience where he's been. I think they're going to like him in left field. So yeah, it, it's nothing really to say um, anything about what Bolger's done. Um, not he's hitting 185. It's not great through seven games and and. Uh, you know, um, six starts, but you're going to see Cooper Davis back in there. And I, I just think his presence and experience is something they, they uh, will definitely capitalize on. And, and we'll just have to see the extent of his injury. And I don't know how much it's going to affect his hitting. Those aren't, those injuries are not always easy to come back from. I'm not saying it's a fear thing that he's going to be fearful of being at the plate, but Anytime you injure your, you know, you break your nose, or even in basketball, I don't know if they're going, if he's going to have to wear a protective guard, a mask over his face. But the, you know, it's just one of those things you feel when you move, when you're just even the slightest ex- exertion of force can be something that uh, is bothersome and, and painful and affects your vision. I mean, he's very, very lucky that that didn't get the orbital of his eye because if that had been the case, that could have been a seizing and ending injury. So it, it'll be good to see if he can come back this weekend and just watch real closely how that affects him. Uh, I don't think it'll affect him much in the field, but just at, 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 at uh, while he's hitting. You know, I think there's a really interesting discussion to have about the batting order when he comes back. And I presume you drop him back in the leadoff spot. That is absolutely what I would do. Uh, would you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, I'd probably get his feet wet again a little bit and where he's uh, seen some good pitches to hit and get his confidence back. But you, you never know. I mean, Tim has Tim has stuck, uh, you know, all weekend long. I think Rodriguez was in the six hole, if I believe. Uh, he's been as high as three before in the past and slid him down a little bit. Um, but it, it wouldn't surprise me either way if if, if it's to say to Cooper Davis, you're our guy, you're you're at the top spot, let's get you back out there where you belong. The other's trade of uh, the school of thought is just to get him down in the order a little bit where he can possibly protect him a little bit and see some pitches to get him back into it. So I wouldn't be surprised either either way, but I think Cooper Davis and watch him, he's a tough kid. Uh, and um, I guarantee you as soon as he was could be in the cage and taking reps and Getting back in it, uh, he was he was probably back at it, uh, hitting and and testing how things will be going. You know, the guy that I have trouble knowing what to do with this in, in this batting order is Enrique Bradfield Jr. And I think my answer is that I hit him second, which he's been hitting what eighth all year. And the reason is he's got a five nineteen on base percentage, and I think generally speaking, you are better off 
putting your high on base guys at the top of the lineup and getting them more looks. Now, two rebuttals to that, right? Sometimes Tim Corbin will put a guy in a spot because he thinks he's comfortable there or maybe it takes the pressure away from expectations. So hitting a freshman in the eight hole makes sense. The other thing about him, they've got three lefty bats in the lineup if you count Young, who's a switch hitter. So if you go Davis and Bradfield to start, then you go lefty-lefty and you've got a string of righties, which might make bullpen management easier on the other side. So I think that's my next question. And, and frankly, I, I think i got a lot of questions about where you hit guys in this lineup in general. But I think that's the really interesting piece is what you do with Enrique Bradfield Jr., Chip. Yeah, he's a he's a player, Chris, that you, you're going to want as he matures and, and as long as he's here, you're going to want him to get as many at-bats so he can get on base and steal bases and run and get doubles and triples when he sprays the ball all around. I, I've never... And watching the game this weekend, we've had some fast players, but that the giddy-up that this kid has on first two steps out of the box is something that is is fun to watch. Uh, I've yet to see him, and just having you know being not being able to go to the games, is watching it. Just I'm I'm anxious to see him track down balls in the outfield, trouble balls uh, that are that are hard, difficult to get to. Uh, but you're going to want to have him as he matures. You know, he's four for four on the base paths. We've only stolen five. So he's 93% of our stolen bases by himself and hadn't been caught. He he has a, uh, he's got to learn when to take the extra base based on the situation. I don't mind him being aggressive. A guy like that, you want him to run, but you also got to know the timing of when to run and the situation in the game with the number of outs and who's coming up next and who's following you and all that. But so I think Tim's probably got a, a decent harness on him as far as holding him, you know, instructing him on, you know, this isn't high school. You can't just run anytime and get the extra base, but he's definitely not being held back. He's, he's learning as he goes. And when you have speed like that, you want to take advantage of it. So uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he crept up higher in the lineup just to get him more ABs. Well, Tim's style on aggressive guys usually is more to encourage it than to rein it in. I mean, look, this has been the situation ever since he got here. Every year they get guys thrown out on the bases, uh, taking ones that, that you're watching it going, no, 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 don't do that. On the other hand, it's easy to remember the mistakes and not the times it paid off and and put pressure on a defense or, or rush to throw or any number of things. And so you do see that pay off for them at times where – you think I might not have been as aggressive as they were, but but it might get you a run where you don't think you're going to get. And again, just the continued pressure on a defense. So Tim's inclination has been really to encourage that more than it's been to dial it down. Well, yeah, and and you've got to understand this isn't high school ball. It's not necessarily. I mean, of course, it's not travel ball. It's college ball, and it's SEC baseball. And the theory in a lot of these as kids are growing up is. Make someone throw, if they're going to get you on an extra base, you know, you got to make a couple relay throws that are perfect. Uh, and, and that doesn't happen all that much. But in this league, it, it's, you've got talented, talented players you know, at teams one through 14. And they're going to be able to make those throws and, and, and when you try to take advantage of the extra base. So 
I, there's one thing about being aggressive. Uh, there's other things about another opinion is about running yourself out of an inning when you have explosive bats behind you. And, and that's the thing that I think drives some people crazy in the fact that, you know, you know, the old adage in baseball, getting thrown out, making the third out of third or, or getting picked off a base, uh, especially at second base when you in the position that a single is going to drive you in and you're out there getting picked off second base, it's just, that's not knowing uh, that where you are in the situation of a game. And I know that drives the coaches crazy. So um, I don't see that changing all that much, but looking at uh, uh, taking a snapshot of seven games in, it looks like, I mean, other than Parker Nolan who stole the base, Enrique Bradfield's the only uh, weapon uh, that we got over there, and you've got guys over there taking huge leads, almost getting picked off bases uh, that haven't even stolen a base yet. I know it has to do maybe with the conditions, maybe the turf is wet, there's different things, but uh, again, getting to my earlier conversation, um, until we prove that we can get out of the base pass with multiple people and steal bases, um, I would probably err on caution as far as that's concerned, unless we try it out this weekend. Okay, I'm a big Isaiah Thomas fan, but the one thing I'm disappointed in with this team, I think my biggest disappointment is he's got 12 strikeouts through 27 at-bats. Obviously, that's problematic at any time, especially before you get to SEC play. What are you seeing with him so far? Well, he started the year out last year. You know, it was like it, it was he had a crazy first uh, – you know, what was it, 16, 17, 18 games. And then this year he's struggling a little bit on the strikeout column. And and um, that was a – we've talked in years past about this team striking out a lot. And 12 uh, strikeouts and 27 at-bats is too much. And I'm, he knows that. Um, when you got a free swinger like him and a strong kid like him, uh, you're going to have some strikeouts. Um, I, as you go along, but 12 is, is way too many. So he's just having an opposite start to what he had last year. And I'm sure he's working on it. He's incredibly talented. Uh, and got a good body on him, got a good arm trolling the outfield. Like he does, but we're just going to sample size as we talked about, I, I'm we'll check back with him after the Oklahoma state series and see where he is. But I, th I think he's got room to turn it around. He proved it last year. Uh, but definitely needs to be making better contact and not striking out so much. Yeah, and they have moved him down from five to seven, uh, which I think is appropriate at this point. I, I don't know that you you demote him anymore. You don't want to ruin the kid's confidence. But speaking of which, Jason Gonzalez has been in the nine hole every game so far. And the way he's hit justifies moving him up further but Tim knows his players. He knows the effects of putting pressure on kids or relaxing expectations. Like, you saw that with Julian Infante, right? It, Tim put him in the nine hole all of 2019 um, as a way of giving him confidence by playing him but not maybe putting too much pressure of expectations. Of course, with the other eight hitters they had, that's probably where he should have been hitting. But I think you get my point. Um, I think Tim knows what kids can handle and, and, and don't handle. And hitting in the nine hole doesn't exactly put a lot of pressure on you. So given that it's working, do you mess with it? Or do you look at the numbers and say, hey, Jason Gonzalez deserves some more plate appearances. Uh, let, let's move him up and see what happens here. 
I think probably you might see him stay the same. I, I just with Gonzalez taking the year off last year, being out, uh, he, he's still, you know, he's having some success there. I don't, I don't think you, I don't know who you would flip him with, and if, especially you want to have a, a a batter in that position when Cooper Davis returns that can turn the turn the lineup over, so to speak, and get back to him. Uh, and the way he's hitting the ball right now, I, I think it's going okay. So. Uh, I am, you know, Gonzalez had the problem of striking out uh, before in his career, and he has five and 21 at bats uh, compared to the, uh, you know, as far as Thomas having 27 at bats. So, on a ratio wise, you know, you've got only, you know, Carter Young struck out eight uh, on, on, as far as leading the team with Thomas at 12 and Carter Young at eight. Um, you know, I, I, I could go either way on it, but it, I, I think Gonzalez is the type of kid who's there's maybe protecting a little bit and trying to still make sure he's getting some good at bats. And you could see that change in a heartbeat in a couple of weeks if, as, as the competition increases. And as I mentioned, that, that that's going to be a big test that Oklahoma State series to see where this team is as they head in the SEC play. Well, speaking of Carter Young, I'm glad you brought him up. I think he's been the most pleasant surprise offensively. I mean, we knew he had the ability to hit for some average because he did it a year ago. But the pop, I didn't see that coming. I don't know that they did either. I mean, this kid has now hit home runs from the left and right sides of the plate through seven games. He is second on the team with a 741 slugging average. I mean, the defense is a constant with him, and he's tremendous there. If the bat starts coming along the way it has recently, I mean, look out. This kid's a superstar in the making, if, if you see that. Yeah, he, he's been really impressive. And, and uh, you know, it's that long list of infielders that Corbin has recruited that just kind of slide in there, and then you feel like that they've been there for four or five years. And this kid made some plays over the weekend that, that – uh, were really impressive. Uh, I know you texted me about one, uh, a, a double play ball that he kind of awkwardly uh, turned himself, but not many people can make that play. So he, he uh, it's good to have stability to that position and, and looks like he's uh, solidified that. And, and um, I like the way our guys in the middle are playing, uh, doing well, playing well together. And, and, and turning double plays. So he, he's been, uh, and I don't think, you know, and, when he came into this program, I don't think there was any surprise when you recruited to be a shortstop. It didn't surprise anybody. It certainly didn't surprise Corbin as far as his skills and and what an impact he's going to be. And I think he's going to continue to grow uh, throughout the year. So um, I think I know they're really high on him, and it's going to be fun to watch him grow throughout the year. Pitching-wise, we talk about Rocker and Lighter and their depth, but one thing that has really surprised me it's like seeing Miles Garrett and how good he's looked so far. Hunter Owen, the, the stats aren't good, but uh, Christian Little has been hit a little bit, but also pretty polished guy and, and good at finding the strike zone. Uh, what has stood out to you once we get past that tier of, of guys that get talked about a lot in terms of this pitching staff? I I like the balance. You got some guys who are still trying to find their way as far as the the closer role. I'm not sure if Ethan Smith, you know, he he struggled that last inning, couldn't throw strikes and and uh, you know, but a couple pitchers have had that. I mean, Rocker had an inning where early on in the game this past weekend, and he had one when he walked uh, the first weekend. He walked uh, two batters on eight pitches and. 
he made the quote that it was just time to get off the mound, and he struggled uh, in, in the second. I guess it was the second inning when he was uh, kind of all over the place, and his release point was he was high with his release point, and he got that corrected, got out of the inning on a um, uh, when the runner got thrown out at second base. I think it was a I forgot what it was. Help me, Chris. It was a I think it was a strike him out, throw him out, or picked off second base by the catcher. I'm Which not situation sure was. was this? I'm sorry. This was the this was the second the his second start this past weekend. I mean, he it was an inning when Rocker went back out there and was struggling through. He was really wild high and got out of the inning when a runner got thrown out at second. Um, so we really don't. I mean, he got out not by his own doing. It was a um, a play by the the infielder. So you know. And you saw Ethan Smith struggle a little bit, too, with, with wildness. And you're going to see that. And you're seeing Scott Brown sticking with these guys and letting them get out themselves um, with with staying out there and working your way through it. There's there's times as a pitcher, and my being one, you know, it's it's a lonely feeling out there when you lose your slot as far as your release point. You can't find it. And you're, uh, it, it is nowhere you'd rather be when you've thrown eight, nine, ten balls in a row. You just want to dig a hole behind the mound. But... Uh, that's one inclination, or you fight, and this team is a bunch of fighters, and they, they, but you, you really can't. And I know it's frustrating for fans sometimes, just, you know, get him out of there, get somebody warmed up. At this early in the stage in the season, you, you want these young kids uh, from these, looks like 15, 16 that have gotten action to work their way out of a, a problem, especially if you've got the lead in hand. Now, if the game's in doubt, uh, that's one thing, but. Um, you know, I, I just like the balance. I like, I like the, um, you know, they got all high velocity guys. It looks like from, you know, from those spots coming out of the pen, uh, from aside from lighter rocker, we know about their velocity. Uh, and, and, you know, but some of these guys, one inning, one and third innings, two innings, one and two third, it, it's hard to tell. You can get a quick snapshot, but until you get, you know, 10, 12, 15 innings under your belt, you really don't know what you got. And then you kind of reduce that 15 to 16 number of pitchers down to about a core 10 or 11 uh, as far as who you're going to go to. So uh, I, I think the closing role is still up for grabs. I mean, there's some opportunity for some some guys out there. We, you know, we've had saves spread out. I mean, Murphy got one. McIlvain got one. Ethan Smith got one. Uh, you know, but they, they've been spread out. They haven't really been your go-to pitcher like we've had the last couple of years as far as who's going to close out games, and that's okay. I think it's, 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 you're still trying to find it and, and get some guys some innings. So, um, you know, Leiter and Rocker have been uh, – I've been really impressed with Leiter and his demeanor and, and just the way he, he looks like he's 24 years old out there pitching to high school kids. But – We'll we'll see how his first foot. He hasn't been, you know. You got to remember, Chris. He has not been in SEC competition yet, and I'm not saying he's going to get welcomed or he's in for a rude awakening because I think he's that good. But I think all eyes are going to be on how he handles it. I don't care how old you are, how mature you are, how how in control you are in the mound when you step on the field and some of these uh, cathedrals across the SEC, Starkville and and in, in uh, you know, Baton Rouge and all these other places where there's eight, nine, ten thousand people, hopefully one day, um, that's a whole different story. I have no doubt they'll handle it, but it's just it's still a different ball game altogether.
Well, I have found Rocker's scorecard from his last start. Of course, first start, he does throw eight straight balls and gets yanked after that to end that start. Last game, he does get out of the first with the caught stealing. He gets the second out of the second with the caught stealing, follows that up by a strikeout to get out of that inning, strikes out the side in the third. Um, infield single, which turns into a double play in the fourth, and then a pop-up to end that. And then the fifth inning, fly ball, double, balk, uh, walk, strikeout, strikeout. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's been been cleaner for Kumar before, but still not giving up a lot of hard contact either. Yeah, and, and there's been some debate. We talked about last broadcast about those two, and the, there was a nothing, another another article came out today about ranking the pitchers of the top draft voice, and of course now they have lighter ahead because they, they're they poking holes through Kumar's slider, and they're saying that on a pro level, on a major league level, that it would be easier to hit and that lighter's breaking ball, curveball is better than rocker slider. And, and uh, you know, they're just, as we talked about that, we don't need to go with that again. I mean, they're, they're going to be poking holes through those two guys and comparing and uh, as, as we go along. But I know that I'd rather have them on our team than anybody else. I'm glad they're on our team. Uh, it's just, we, you know, one thing we hadn't talked about, this weather for the last two weeks has really, you know, pitchers are uh are people or you know, people who like uh routines uh they are they're people who like to uh, know when they're going to pitch and that, that's important as far as what they do in their pre-work and they're not on a schedule yet you know this is the third weekend of games coming up and hopefully uh even though they pitched a day they've been pitching a day or two later than normal at some point you're going to want to have those guys start going before you get into conference play eventually your Friday your Saturday your Sunday and stack them up and they haven't had that opportunity yet and um, I'm not sure what the what they're planning on doing this weekend but still they're creatures of habit coaches are creatures of habit they don't want to rush them and uh, you know they haven't been extended really more than five innings yet this year uh, and we'll you know, you wonder if this weekend's, you know, they start giving them an extra inning, go back out there and increase the pitch count to see. Because what you want to have is, you know, having at least a, your top guys going seven when it comes to that first weekend coming up uh, for SEC play. Well, and you, you make a good point, and I don't think it got discussed that much because the pitching staff is so deep. And so the issues that most staffs would have, and by most I mean basically just about every other one in the country – with seven games in seven days weren't maybe some of the ones that this staff would have. But, I mean, you go back and look, six and one, you know, it, with, with that many games and that many days, that, that's not something that college teams are used to. And I think it does, I'm not, not going to say put a different spin on a six and one start because I don't think most people have an issue with the way they play. But I, I think it makes it a little bit more impressive when you think about it like that. Yeah, and and the record in itself. I mean, you saw what Florida did. You know, they dropped in the rankings, and you know, pro baseball, a pro team loses a game, and they think about your your big your, your major teams in the major league baseball. I mean, they're losing uh, over um, you know 150 plus games. I mean, they're you're not there's not this gnashing of teeth of when you lose this game like there is in college. It seems like and. 
with the SEC having the top four slots in the national poll, which I think is just, I know that's maybe happened before, but I don't remember one, two, three, four, uh, like it is now. Um, you're going to see some jockeying and changing positions throughout the year and losing a game early, especially the way it looks like to a, to a Georgia state team that was much better than I thought, uh, is not all that bad. So those will, you want to get the kinks out now before the season gets really going because those SEC games can pile up and you start playing one one midweek game and then you got the the gauntlet of the three on the weekend. That gets to be a hard road and if you start sliding, um, it, it can it can be unforgiving at, at times and you got to you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get going. Chip, I know you've got stuff to get to today, so we're going to wrap this thing up. I want to give you the floor to bring up any points we didn't talk about that you think are worth a discussion and also to tell people about your real estate business as the weather warms up here in Nashville. Sure, yeah, closing comments. I just I think it's going to be, uh, you know, UIC is a team coming in that is always seemed like they've been on the schedule for a long time, and they're in the same conference, uh, I'm assuming, that Wright State is. So they play good baseball. It'll be more of the same. I don't think they're going to come in here intimidated by this team. They'll be used to it. They, you know, have played in Knoxville the last couple of years. They'll go in the same kind of ability. And it seemed like Tim has been reaching for those teams that are not afraid to come in here to just play a single game and feel happy about it. And um, you see that with Wright State. You see that with Georgia State and UIC. So I think it's going to be nice to have fans in the stands, it looks like, for the first time. And how they're doing that is probably going to be a little frustrating for everybody and a little uh, difficult to understand. I know some people got some messages and how to sort through all that as far as getting tickets and doing all that. I think it's going to be great, and the team will hopefully feed off on that because it does make a difference when you feel like you're playing in an inter-squad game or you, you can hear everything that's going on in the other dugout. And that's all you can hear, the two teams kind of razzing each other. I think it's uh, – hopefully the weather will turn out. I think we're going to have some dry weather here, a span for the first time, no snow, no rain. So that's good. So it, it's good to get back out there for this team. And, you know, got two, you know, two series coming up that will really set the tone for the conference. you got the UIC, you got Oklahoma State coming up. Uh, and – I just think things are going well. Still small sample, seven games. And uh, we'll see uh, with a lot of work to be done this week as far as the team correcting their mistakes and getting in the cage and getting guys some extra work. And we'll just see how things I'm looking for is how he's going to handle rotation, uh, Scott Brown and 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 Tim Corbin, as far as hopefully um, finding a way to get in that rhythm as far as uh, the one, two, and three, and, and as a lead up to the season. And as far as my real estate company uh, that I'm involved with, Frederick and Clark Realty, it is spring season. is uh, March 1st. It seems like spring begins. It really is a while, but the spring real estate market has been here for several weeks. I talked about that last week. That really starts in February. Lots of things going on the market. It's very competitive. Uh, so we ask your listeners that if you're looking to sell your house or to be on the buy side, you know, call call us at the office. Call me personally. I'll hook you up with one of our 175 agents now. We've increased our stable of agents. We've got some great professionals who do it full-time. They're not part-time real estate agents who are looking to sell one house a year. We Our folks are uh, 
this is what they do for a living. They're professional. They know the market. They know how to negotiate contracts, multiple offer situations that are going on out there that you can't do it alone. So check us out on the web. We have a great website, frederickandclark.com. It has uh, listings, our listings. It gives you access to listings across the Middle Tennessee area as far as things that are on the market. Give me a call. We can talk about it uh, and hook you up with some people who are uh, looking, who know the market in the area that you want to look at as far as selling or buying. And that's all I got today. All right. Thanks, Chip. We'll catch you next week. All right, Chris. Have a good weekend. All right. He's Chip Frederick. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sport Podcast.